0: A young professional cyclist named Mo Wilson is found dead after returning from a night out in Austin, Texas. She was there to compete in an upcoming bike race. Initially, police turned to fellow professional cyclist Colin Strickland, who had gone out with her that night. Police were able to eliminate him almost immediately using cameras in the neighborhood and throughout town. But that same video footage gave police a big clue, one that led to Caitlin Armstrong, Colin's girlfriend. Three days later, Caitlin disappears. This is Twisted Travel and True Crime, and I'm your host, Sandy. I'm glad you're here. Please forgive my voice today, as I am just recovering from laryngitis. Let's roll. Anna Mariah Wilson, who preferred to be called Mo, was born in New Hampshire, USA in 1996. She was as energetic as she was beautiful, and she had plenty of both. Her parents noticed her innate athleticism early on, especially in the sports of biking and skiing. As a teen, she zeroed in on alpine skiing, and she rose to the level of a nationally ranked junior skier, placing third in the 2013 U.S. Junior National Championship downhill event. Mo was also intelligent. She attended Dartmouth College and graduated with a Bachelor of Arts in Engineering in 2019. While at Dartmouth, she was a proud member of their alpine ski team. In her off-season, she kept her fitness levels up by training with her other passion, biking. She'd always enjoyed zooming through the hills and trails in Vermont as a child and as a young adult. This helped hone her maneuvering skills and strength on the bike as well as when skiing. After graduating from Dartmouth, she shifted her athletic gears and pursued an athletic career as an elite bike racer. After only two seasons, she rose into the upper echelon in mountain bike racing and gravel racing in the United States where she earned several top three awards. This quick rise would give her the courage to quit her job and become a full-time professional bike racer. One of the perks to her new career was that she could travel with her sport, see the world, and make new friends. Her smile and outgoing nature made this an easy task, so it was a huge blow to the cycling community when only two weeks into her newfound job, she was brutally murdered. She was 25 years old. Mo was gunned down in the home of one of her friends. It was this friend, named Caitlin Cash, who found her the evening of May 11th, 2022. She called 911 at 9.56 p.m. Earlier that afternoon, Cash had received a text message from Mo telling her she was going to meet up with a friend named Colin to go for a swim. Cash had been nearby, having left her home at 5.30 that afternoon, to go have some dinner with friends. As she left the house, she had seen Mo's large bike travel bag sitting on the front porch next to the door. She suggested that Mo move it so it didn't get stolen, and then said her goodbyes. When she returned from dinner, she noticed that the bag was at the bottom of the porch and partially blocking the carport. The bike wasn't inside it. She thought this was strange. "'but what raised the hairs on the back of her neck "'was that the front door of the residence was unlocked "'and the house was silent. "'She called out to her friend, but there was no response. "'This made her uneasy. "'Cash knew Mo had arrived home "'because she'd given Mo a unique code "'to punch in and unlock the door. "'When Mo used the code, "'a message would be sent to Cash's phone. "'At 8.36, she had received that message. "'She continued to call for her friend, "'searching the house.' About two minutes later, she found Mo laying on the bathroom floor covered in blood, and immediately called the police. When they arrived on the scene, they found Caitlin performing CPR on Mo. The officers noted that her body contained several bullet wounds and that there were spent shells on the floor nearby. Mo was pronounced dead at 10:10 pm, less than 15 minutes after the 911 call was made. When interviewed, Caitlin Cash, who I will call Cash going forward, told police that the deceased was her friend Mo Wilson, who was a professional cyclist. She was only in Austin for a couple of days in order to race in a local bike race called the Gravel Locos, which took place nearby. Cash had picked Mo up at the airport on May 10th, and she hadn't even been in town for 24 hours. The first impression investigators had was that whoever killed Mo must have scared her at the front door, maybe even shot her for the first time there, and then Mo ran towards the bathroom to find cover. Cash told police that Mo's bike was missing, but as far as she could tell, nothing else had been taken. Later that evening, police searched in and around the home. Mo's bike would be found hidden in thick bamboo, less than 100 feet from the house. When questioned further, Cash would tell detectives that she'd received a text from Mo at 5.55 p.m., This text told her that Mo was going out with her friend Colin. She'd been with him until 8.36 when the message came through that Mo unlocked the door. Cash arrived home approximately an hour and 15 minutes later. The officers noted that across the street from the house, there was a surveillance camera mounted on a nearby home. The residence was directly across the street from Cash's house and would have a clear sight line to the front door. The homeowners were asked if police could watch the video footage, and they were happy to help. In the video, a dark-colored SUV could be seen driving past the residence at 8.37 p.m., only one minute after Mo entered Cash's home. The video then showed the SUV slowing down and coming to a stop directly in front of the house. The SUV appeared to have a large bike rack mounted on the trailer hitch, a luggage rack mounted to the roof, and chrome trim around the windows. No other vehicles passed the home until emergency vehicles arrived at the house just over an hour later. When they looked at the earlier footage, they saw Moe's friend, Colin Strickland, pull up to the house to pick her up. He was driving a motorcycle. He was later seen dropping her off and pulling away from the home. Colin was identified as a 35-year-old man who lived in the area, and as I said earlier, he was a professional cyclist, one who was sponsored by Red Bull and several other businesses. When police looked up his license, they found his address in Austin. The following day, they drove to his home. There in the driveway, they saw a motorcycle, a Mercedes, and a Jeep Cherokee that appeared to be the same vehicle that stopped at Cash's house the night before. When they confronted Colin, he voluntarily agreed to drive to Austin's police headquarters for a formal interview. He was not under arrest, and he was told he could leave at any time. He told police he currently lives with his 34-year-old girlfriend, Caitlin Armstrong, and that they'd been dating for approximately three years, but briefly ended their relationship for one or two weeks the previous October. During that short breakup, he met Mo, and the two of them had a romantic relationship before Colin ultimately reconnected with Caitlin. Colin then told detectives that he had changed Mo's name in his phone so Caitlin didn't know who he was speaking to, and that way he and Mo could continue their friendship-slash-relationship in secret. Then he clarified that he changed Mo's name in his phone because Caitlin had blocked her number in his phone. He also told police that he had deleted text messages to prevent Caitlin from finding them. Colin would deny being unfaithful, insisting that the times he was with Mo were times that he and Caitlin weren't together. If I felt there was a need to change someone's name in my phone and erase multiple text messages from that person, and then I lie to my partner about where I was going when I was wanting to spend time with someone other than my partner, I'd be a cheater, wouldn't I? In an article by The New Yorker, Colin is described by his acquaintances as a good dude, but a man who liked to play games with romantic partners until it explodes into drama. He claimed to be with Caitlyn for three years, but over that time he had hit on and became involved with women who assumed he was single. On October 23, 2021, he became involved with Moe. Colin, Moe, and Caitlyn had all rode in a bike race in Arkansas. Moe won the women's field, and Colin had come in ninth for the men's. Caitlyn was not a pro. She did the races for fun and probably to be with Colin. Another racer, who was good friends with Moe, said that at a party that night, Caitlin was pointedly unfriendly towards her and Moe. In retrospect, this friend believes it was probably because of Colin's previous indiscretions with women. Three days later, Colin and Caitlin's trailer renovation company was incorporated. And two days after that, Colin and Moe rolled up together at another bike race. It was noted by guests that Colin had an attractive female cyclist with him, a woman who was not Caitlin, and that they were there together. According to Moe's friend, later that day, Moe received a phone call from an unknown number. When she took the call, a woman's voice said, Stay away from Colin, and then hung up. Moe's response was, That's really weird. Some random person just called me. Colin told police in his interview about that phone call. He said it had been Caitlin, and he was ashamed by her actions that day. He also told police that during this period, he and Caitlin had lived under the same roof, but were separated. This was because they had several business entanglements. He detailed his time with Mo on the night of her murder, saying that he picked her up on his motorcycle at approximately 5.45 p.m. They went to a nearby pool, and after swimming, they walked together to a restaurant located nearby. They ate burgers there, and afterwards he drove Mo back to Cash's house on his motorcycle and dropped her off. While he was there, he didn't see anyone nearby and noted the garage door of the home was closed. He didn't go inside, and he left right after, dropping Mo off. He told police the route he took home and that he stopped at one point to send a message from his phone to Caitlin. The text message said, Hey, are you out? I wanted to drop some flowers off for Allison at her son's house up north, and my phone died. I'm heading home, unless you have another food suggestion. It seems to me he was trying to hide the real reason why his phone wasn't on, or maybe why he hadn't been reachable for a couple hours. Earlier in the evening, he admittedly lied to Caitlin about his whereabouts. When he arrived home at approximately 8.43, he sent another message to Caitlin and then he went into his garage and began working on his bike to prepare for an upcoming race. An hour or so later, he sent a third message to Caitlin. Not long after that, she arrived home driving her Jeep Cherokee. Throughout Colin's police interview, he spoke highly of Mo and her accomplishments. He said she was a professional cyclist and he was helping her find new sponsors. He referred to her as the best female cyclist in the United States and possibly the world. At the same time, he described Caitlin as a participant in a bike race while he was a racer. Yes, she would ride with him sometimes, but she didn't like to because she felt that Colin was grumpy when she came along because he had to wait on her. At this point, the detectives asked Colin about the vehicles in the driveway and who owned them. He tells them that he owns the motorcycle and the Mercedes, but that Caitlin owns the Jeep Grand Cherokee. Then they asked whether the couple had guns. Colin tells them that he purchased two firearms earlier that year, one for himself and one for Caitlin. He explains that he was dealing with all kinds of people in his trailer business and wanted protection. She needed protection, too, as she met with some of the clients as well. In addition, she'd been very scared earlier that year during an incident of road rage in which she'd been involved. When Colin was asked if Caitlin knew where Mo was staying, he said no She'd never been there before, and he didn't think Caitlin knew anyone who lived in the area either. It seemed that police had brought the wrong person in for questioning. What they needed now was a good reason to bring Caitlin in. Luckily, it wasn't hard for them to find a reason. She had an outstanding Class B warrant for her arrest. She'd had some Botox done professionally, and it had cost $600. When it came time to pay, the office ran her credit card, but it didn't work. She told them she'd be right back with a second credit card and went out to her vehicle, but then left without paying. The business had kept her original credit card and they used it to press charges, and that led to her warrant. Caitlin came to the station willingly, and when asked if she had heard about what happened in the past 24 hours, she said she knew about it. She said that Colin had told her that one of the women in the cycling community had passed away. During the interview... Caitlin was very still and rarely spoke. When confronted with the information that Colin was with Mo the night she died, and that Caitlin's name came up during the investigation, she didn't get frazzled. She remained quiet. When they told her they had video evidence of her vehicle at the crime scene, she had no explanation as to why it was in the area, and didn't make any denials against the statements presented to her. When detectives confronted Caitlin with the information— about Colin going out, they suggested that maybe Caitlin was upset about that. She turned her head, rolled her eyes angrily, and said, I'm not certain as to even what you mean or what he said because I didn't have any idea that he saw or even went out with this girl, as of recently. They were looking for a logical reason that her vehicle would be at Cash's house and suggested that maybe she was upset and just in the area, to which Caitlin silently nodded. She then requested to leave the interview, which she was allowed to do. This was because the questioning detective had been told during the interview that the warrant for Caitlin's arrest on the Botox theft was no longer valid because there had been a typo which indicated a different birth date than Caitlin's. The following day, an anonymous caller made a phone call to the Austin Police Department. The caller refused to be identified, but said they were with Caitlin in January of 2022. This was a couple months after Colin and Moe first met, and this was allegedly when Caitlin found out that Colin was pursuing a romantic relationship with Moe, even though she thought she and Colin had gotten back together. This caller said that Caitlin became furious and was shaking in anger. She told the caller that she wanted to kill Moe, and that she had either recently purchased a firearm or was going to do so. So how did Caitlin find out about Moe and Colin? or did she know the whole time? I don't have the answer, but what I do know is that there was a message sent from Mo to Colin while at a cycling event. It read, "'Hey, so I'd like to talk to you at some point. I originally texted you on Friday, but it appears my texts aren't going through again. This weekend was strange for me, and I just want to know what's going on. If you want to be friends, which seems to be the case, then that's cool,' but I'd like to talk about it because honestly my mind has been going in circles and I don't know what to think. Colin replied to her the next day saying, hey Mo, I feel very shitty for putting you in a position where you don't feel comfortable. Caitlin came along to go to a meeting about the Sprinter Spartan Hotel project. In hindsight, this was not a good idea. It could be that Caitlin came to the event to keep an eye on Colin. Perhaps while there, she sensed some intimacy between Moe and Colin. Based on the text messages, it appears that Moe was under the impression that she was in a romantic relationship with Colin, and clearly, Caitlin thought she was. Four days after Moe's murder, police were canvassing the neighborhood where it occurred in an attempt to find more video surveillance. While searching, one of the detectives was approached by a man named David Harris. He is the property owner where Cash rented her place she rented an apartment above his detached garage. He told police that between 8.30 and 9.30, on May 11th, the night of the murder, he walked into his garage and partially opened the garage door. When he did this, he heard what he described as someone running down the stairs that led to Cash's front door. Then he said he saw a bicycle travel southbound through the alleyway, away from Cash's apartment. Six days after the murder, Police recovered the gun belonging to Caitlin, and it was test-fired using laboratory ammunition. The test shell from her Sig Sauer was compared microscopically to the shell casings located near the body. The results were that the potential that her firearm was involved was significant. Now, ballistics, as you know, isn't an exact science. However, there were three shell casings to compare to the test shell, and the fact that they said the potential is significant is because they all matched. By this time, Colin's statements were corroborated through video surveillance and physical evidence. He cooperated throughout the investigation and was no longer a suspect. Caitlin was the main target now, and based on what they had, they felt they could make an arrest. They obtained a new warrant, but when they went to arrest her, she was nowhere to be found. Colin said she had left and he hadn't seen her for a couple days. He described the strangeness of the hours after those first interviews. He returned home to Caitlin, and that night they barely spoke or slept. In the morning, they'd gone to get coffee, feeling dazed. He remembered her saying, "'I don't know what to do. I don't know what's going on.' He replied, "'I just can't believe I dragged you into this situation.' The police had seized their phones, and after getting coffee, she went to buy a new one. He hadn't seen her since. He would later tell Press— that early on he went into hiding, worried that Caitlin would hurt him. But later he would speak of her kindly, saying that he just didn't understand how she could have done it. He had no indication that she could be capable of anything like she was being accused of. He said that Caitlin was one of the least volatile people he'd ever met, and that's why it was so absolutely shocking. One thing was certain, he didn't know where she was, and she seemed to have vanished. She had erased all of her social apps, or shut them down, and essentially went dark. Austin police asked the U.S. Marshals for help finding her. They believed she was hiding somewhere in Austin. But 14 days after the murder, they discovered footage of her at a nearby airport. She was masked, as many people in the airport were, but she was carrying a yoga mat. The footage was three days after the murder. From Austin... She flew to Houston and then on to New York's LaGuardia Airport, where the trail went cold. She wasn't using her credit cards, and no money was missing from her accounts. At this point, the U.S. Marshals posted a $5,000 reward asking for help. Help came in the form of a tip that Caitlin had been seen in upstate New York a few days after arriving at LaGuardia. Investigators knew that Caitlin's sister lived there and went to investigate, but they didn't find her. A second tip came in that Caitlin had been seen at the Newark International Airport on May 18th. They searched through Newark's outbound flights, but found no flight reservations under her name, but they were pretty certain she'd left. They believed she flew under an alias, and since she had a sister living in New York, they had a pretty good idea of whose name and ID she might have used. The question was, how was she traveling and surviving without her credit cards or without withdrawing money from her bank account, did she have an accomplice? The answer is no. In Austin, police were working around the clock to find a lead. A few weeks later, they find her Jeep at a CarMax dealership where she had sold it for $12,200. Meanwhile, in Santa Teresa, Costa Rica, the surf was up, but at Don John's Yoga Lounge, the dogs were downward-facing. It was here, in the small end-of-the-road surfing town, that Caitlin Armstrong had arrived and found refuge. She worked in the small yoga hostel, checking guests in and teaching yoga. She'd settled in nicely, making friends with many of the locals, but tending to avoid socializing with the new guests. Still, as a teacher, she was face-to-face with many of the visiting clientele. When she first arrived, she'd had long, blonde hair, but that changed quickly— Her hair was now cropped short and dyed brown. Back in the States, police were working with Homeland Security to search passenger lists. Sure enough, they found Caitlin's sister's name. It was used to book a flight from Newark to San Jose, Costa Rica. Authorities had another lead. They correctly guessed that she would either take or teach yoga classes in some capacity, since she was seen carrying her yoga mat onto the plane. Costa Rican authorities, working in conjunction with American officials, tracked Caitlin to the small yoga studio. It had been as simple as calling all the known yoga hotspots in Costa Rica to ask if they had any new hires, and if so, what did they look like? They hit the bullseye at Don John's. Authorities sent several men in, undercover, to confirm that they had the right person, there they found a handwritten note bearing the name that Caitlin had used to flee the U.S. She had used several aliases, but the one most used was Airy. According to Dateline, Airy became a regular at the town's one bar. She didn't talk much about her past, and if asked, she'd answer questions with a question. She met a man she seemed to connect with a little bit more than others, and she shared with him that she'd gone through a rough breakup. He'd gone through one as well. They were not romantically involved, but they were friendly with each other and hung out on several occasions. At some point, she asked him to take her to San Jose, which was a 90-minute car ride away. She had told him the reason she needed the ride was because she was afraid of the authorities. She said she didn't have the proper paperwork to be in Costa Rica, so she preferred not to take public transportation. The man thought this was strange and came up with some excuse to turn her request for a ride down but she made her way to San Jose anyway. She went there to have plastic surgery. It would change the appearance of her nose. Later, an employee at the surgical center would be able to identify her as the person who had the surgery, but told authorities that she had used a different name to register for the procedure. It had cost Caitlin $6,000, almost half the money she had from the sale of the Jeep. She told her acquaintances and customers in Santa Teresa that the bandages she had on her face were there because she had hurt herself in a surfing accident. Forty-three days after Caitlin disappeared, undercover police would walk into Don John's yoga and arrest her. In the aftermath of her arrest, a customer would discover Caitlin's documents, which he photographed before turning over to police. They included her sister's passport and her own passport an American Express Platinum card, and her own Social Security card. She was extradited to the United States and returned to Austin, where she was indicted for murder and placed in jail with a $3.5 million bail. She pled not guilty and hired an attorney. This case has not gone to trial. The trial date is set for June of 2023, but we have an idea of what Caitlin's defense will be. Her defense team doesn't refute that she left the country with a new identity, but in a motion filed August 18th, they took aim at almost every other piece of evidence. They said that the affidavit used early on was full of lies, mischaracterizations, and reckless disregard for truth. Her defense says there's no good evidence and the police know it. Despite claims made in the affidavit, they say the test bullet fired from her gun did not show that there was significant potential, that her gun and the casings found near Moe's body were matching. They said no car like Caitlin's was seen near Mo's house one minute after she arrived home because the security camera's timestamp was wrong. The anonymous caller that said Caitlin was shaking with rage and wanted to kill Moe was not credible. Remember that neighbor that saw a bike speeding away from Cash's home on the night of Moe's death? He was high at the time, and essentially said he may or may not have imagined the bike he saw, and it would be hard to testify in court because it was a brief impression. The defense wanted the affidavit thrown out because it was false, and it misogynistically painted Caitlin as an angry, vindictive ex when that wasn't who she was. They believed there was no evidence of jealousy. Her defense said that she and Colin were actually broken up, but since they had several intertwined businesses, they needed time to extract themselves from each other's lives. She had dated other people, and Colin had, too. She wasn't the jealous type. Colin said so in his first interview. So why would she kill Mo? The defense also wanted to suppress Caitlin's interview because they believed that she was not nodding her head in the affirmative to the suggestion that she was at Moe's house because she was upset. Rather, she was nodding because the rest of the sentence that came from the interviewer was— I don't know because I don't have your story. And that was the part of the sentence that Caitlin was agreeable to. The defense didn't get what they wanted because the judge decided both Caitlin's interview and the affidavit would be allowed at trial. Her attorneys claim Caitlin will be acquitted if her case goes to trial. He said, I expect that the government's own evidence will acquit her, they just haven't looked at it closely. He also believes if the case goes to trial, and if the district attorney doesn't dismiss it, beforehand, she will be found not guilty. He explained that when she flew, Caitlin was merely visiting family, and that she always loved yoga. Not only that, but she was afraid of Colin, so she decided she would take some time away and go do what she loved, which was travel and yoga. Besides, when she left there were no charges against her. What her lawyer didn't explain, however— was why she would use her sister's identification to fly from the U.S. to Costa Rica. Is anyone else here thinking that she and her defense team will place blame on Colin? I'm left with a few questions that I hope will be answered at the trial. First, shooting several bullets into someone would be loud. Even someone who was as high as a kite would probably have heard the gunshots, especially since the homeowner claimed to be opening the garage door and saw someone hop on a bike. Perhaps the gunshots alerted him that something was going on near his home, and he went to investigate. If so, maybe he knows when the shots were fired. The video timestamp might be wrong, but it seems the video could be aligned with what we know. That Colin picked Mo up and dropped her off, and when the door was unlocked, it sent a message to Cash's phone. I'm no investigator, but it seems pretty convincing to me that Caitlin had the means and motive and that she planned ahead, since she allegedly had brought a gun with her. If she murdered Mo, it seems likely that she had a tracking device on Colin. If not on his phone, then on his bike. She knew that he had lied about where he was and decided to follow him, and she brought her new gun with her. Why she chose to be so angry at Mo instead of Colin is a bit of a mystery to me. If there was cheating going on, it was him who was doing it. Immediately after Moe's murder, Colin began losing sponsors. They wanted distance from him, which he said he understood. According to KXAN Austin, as of June of 22, he was taking a break from cycling and the Internet. Caitlin's trial is scheduled to take place in June of this year, 2023, and I'm sure that more information will come out in the trial. I'll be certain to update you. If you'd like to see photos that go with this case, Please check out Twisted Travel and True Crime on Facebook or Instagram. There are links in the show description to those, as well as my email if you'd like to suggest a case. Thank you so much for listening, and a huge thank you to all of you for rating, reviewing, and sharing the podcast with your friends. A gigantic, enormous thank you to Amber for becoming a monthly sponsor this week, and for her awesome reviews. Amber, you made my New Year start off with a bang. I do have a couple reviews I'd like to read today. The first is Joni Cakes, who says, Five stars, fabulous. My new favorite. Just sorry it took me so long to discover this fabulous true crime podcast. Great stories from around the globe with a great narrator. Thank you, Joni Cakes. I'd also like to thank Pixie Lisa, who says, I can't get enough. I found this podcast by sheer accident, and it has become one of my favorites. It's well-researched, interesting, unique crimes from all around the world. Sandy tells it well, and in a soothing voice, no opinions, just straight-up storytelling. I appreciate this so much. And lastly, C D L H Star, who says, Excellent. Five stars. Thank you for an interesting and intelligent podcast. Thank you all so much. I appreciate you. Thanks again for listening, and to all of you, I wish you fair winds, following seas, and safe travels of all kinds. Take care.